So, how you feeling? Overwhelmed? Okay. Well, all you got to do is look around you. <laughs> and just see, our numbers are dwindling. So, you know, we need to... I love the fact that we're being ro- proactive. It's important. Okay? Uh, I'll still be your preacher. Because if you go to the hospital, that's me. I get to come see you. If you have surgeries, that'll be me. Come see you. See? So, it's, uh, it could be a good thing. It could be a great thing for us. Um, begin to think about ways in the community that we could be more involved and more effective. And, oh, my goodness, just it makes your head swim uh, how that, that could happen. And that will be an area that they, they want me to also be very involved in because of my longevity here in the community. So um, they're praying, too, on their side. So keep that in mind. First Timothy 5, that's where we'll be today as we close our series on letters to leaders. Uh, I want to talk about godly honor, honoring two specific groups of people in this chapter. And um, one is the elderly or the widows in the church, and then it's the elders themselves and uh, showing honor and uh, giving them a good position of honor and integrity for them. Um, we need to show respect to people. Uh, I, I'm always um, troubled by how younger people don't show respect to older people. Um, it's just a, this seems like that's a common thing. Uh, old people are in the way, let's get rid of them. Uh, let's don't treat them, let's don't give them medical care, let's just kill them, end their life early, They're, they've used up their life. All kinds of phrases are used. Um, they're still valuable. There's still stories they could tell us, history that they have. History is important, amen? Because if you don't pay attention to history, you'll, you're doomed to repeat it. So, in this section of First Timothy 5, it gives us principles on how we're to honor two groups of people. It starts out with uh, in verses 1 and 2, and we've already read these verses before in a previous message, but they bear reading again. Let's, let's share them together. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and with all propriety, the younger women as sisters. So we're to treat each other with respect and honor. And that goes a long way. I may not agree with you, but I can still love you. True. I don't always agree with Cindy. You know, she's not here this morning, so I can say all kinds of stuff I want to today, right? And the only problem is you'll tell her what I said. So I have to be very careful still. But we can disagree. But I still love her and she still loves me. You ever been in an argument with somebody so much so and you were going to hold your side so much that it didn't matter, boy, this, uh, you're never going to give in? You dig your heels in? And then what does that really accomplish on the, on the back end of things? Not much. A lot more anxiety for you. A lot more stress for you. You know, you, when you hold a grudge, what happens to the other person? 
Zip. <laughs> not a thing. And not a thing. It's like, it's like drinking poison and assume it's going to hurt the other person. But we've got a specific set of qualifications and regulations that apply to widows here. God placed widows in the church in a high place. Now, in order to be called and to qualify as a widow, there were certain requirements that you had to meet. And that's what this chapter, these verses talk to us about. A widow, by definition, was someone who had no support, no family support. And society today, government supports people, but it can only on a limited basis. They still have to have support outside of what the government can provide. And in the Bible's instance, they want families. God wants families to take care of families. Would you say amen to that? They should. We shouldn't depend on someone else to take care of what we can take care of as our family. Uh, that's my little wife's at home today. She's just, today was the day it was all, it all caught up to her. My sickness, her mom and dad, her not having a job. When she got up this morning, I could tell this was not going to be a good day for my little five-foot wife. And she had tears running down her face. And I said, honey, it's going to be okay. I started to sing that song, but I knew she'd throw something at me, so I didn't. But I just hugged her, and she hugged back, and in a way she hadn't hugged in a long time. She needed a hug today. So, we all get there, don't we? Those anxieties, those pressures, and taking care of your family, worried about her mom and dad. She's afraid her dad's going to just walk out of the living place and not come back. I said, he will. He'll come back. He's not that far gone yet. He's really starting to like it there. They have three meals a day. And if they don't show up for a meal, somebody comes to check on them. What more could you ask for, right? A nurse comes by to deliver their medications every night. So they take the right medicines. You know, I told her, I said, everything's covered, honey. Just relax. It's going to be okay. Uh, Sheila may not remember telling me this, but some years ago, I was, we were talking about worry, worry, worry. And Sheila said, well, I know. She said, I shouldn't worry, but I have to because God doesn't want me to worry, but I have to because He doesn't. So, you know, so, so Sheila's taking all the worries of the world on her shoulders over there, you know. But it's true. That's how we all are, aren't we? We know that God doesn't want us to worry. The Bible says, cast your cares upon Him. But it's not, it's hard, isn't it? And so when you're a widow, especially, it's difficult. If you don't have family to help, it's really difficult. In Acts chapter 6 is where this was set up. It says, In those days as the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned, the twelve being the apostles, summoned the whole company of the disciples and said it, it would, would not be right for us to give up preaching about God to handle financial matters. 
Therefore, brothers, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. You wonder where deacons came from? Right there. That's where they were set up. The deacons were set up to tend to these things so that the disciples, the apostles, could focus then on teaching and preaching the Word of God. So the deacons were set up to serve the widows. And I'll bet you the wives of those deacons didn't let them go serve widows alone. There was a team (laughs) that went out to serve these widows. But most of the widows were older. And it's interesting. It's interesting that these qualifications are listed. Uh, It starts in verse 3 of chapter 5 of 1 Timothy. First of all, a widow must be a real widow. And verse 3 says, support widows who are genuinely widows. Those who don't get support from their family, that qualifies for support from the church. So the church should be watching out for Widows within the church, older women in the church, who don't have families who are helping. You know, if they if they have family that are helping, sure we can help, but it shouldn't be we shouldn't be the first line of help for that widow. Does that make sense? The families should be stepping up to do that. And women who have support from their families, they're not considered biblically true widows. Let's continue on in verses 4 and 5. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must learn to practice godliness toward their own family first and to repay their parents, for this pleases God. See, I like that repay their parents thing. I think my kids have missed out on that. Maybe yours have too. The real widow, left all alone, has put her hope in God and continues night and day in her petitions and prayers. So a true widow gets the support from the church because she can't support Herself from anywhere else. Secondly, they need to be a faithful witness. Let's continue on in verse 5, 5 to 7. The real widow, left all alone, has put her hope in God and continues night and day in her petitions and her prayers. However, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command this also so that they won't be blamed. In Luke chapter 2, verses 36 to 37, it explains that a little further. There was also a prophetess, Anna, daughter of Phaniel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in her years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow of, for 84 years. She did not leave the temple complex, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. She should not be pursuing selfish interests, in other words, is what that verse is teaching us. She should be faithful to God instead. By Paul's definition, a worldly widow is a dead woman, even though she's alive. She is dead because she is not serving God, is what he's trying to say. A widow is a woman who has served her family, her husband, and now is fully serving God. All right? Did you understand that? Is it confusing? I'm getting stare looks, stares at me going on. Okay, I'll keep going. But there's a warning. There's a warning in verse 8. Supporters of, of widows who stop uh, supporting. There's, there's, there's a warning here for us. And I think it's interesting that Paul throws this in right here. He says, but if anyone does not provide for his own. 
Here it is. You've heard this said before, and you've said it. You've, you've probably had it said to you. That is, if anyone does not provide for his own, that is his own household. He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Or King James would say, worse than an infidel. So Paul warns the people who support widows in the family. Do it. Don't stop doing it. And the tragedy of our culture is we put, pe- we put our elderly in these nursing facilities. Yes, they need to be there for, to help with their medications and to help them all, you know, to, to, to get around. But then they're left and abandoned, aren't they? Time and time again. So many of them never have a family member darken the door. It's tragic. It's sad that our schedules are so busy that we can't stop a moment to go by and see, go by and visit. All they need is five minutes. Most of them are losing their memory anyway. And, you know, after that five minutes, they won't remember you've been there. But it would be a glorious five minutes that they spend with you. Number three... They need to be old enough to be a widow. First Timothy 5, beginning at verse 9, the emphasis is that a true widow here is someone who cannot remarry. Verses 9 through 15. It's a younger women who lose a husband. Women who can still bear children, you know, they can remarry. So they're going to have family to support them. But after the point of being able to produce children, they become widows. And there's a, there's a fine line in there. But it seems to be Paul is talking about women in reference to their age here in this section. And then he begins at verse 17 to talk about the second group that's mentioned here, and that's the elders. And he mentions them in three different ways. He begins, first of all, by talking about paying the elders. Now, I, I, in my understanding of New Testament eldership, will put preachers like me in with that group. I may not carry that title. I may not carry that responsibility totally. But in essence, I do. But as I've said through this whole series, all of these qualifications for our elders and our deacons fill all of us. But he begins then in verse 17. He says, The elders who are good leaders should be considered worthy of an ample honorarium, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while he's treading out the grain, and the worker is worthy of his wages. You know, you... You are very generous people, and I have always been uh, appreciative and humbled by your taking care of us financially as a family. Uh, And in this particular context, he's speaking, I think, of men that are doing this on a full-time basis. Many of them could not work a secondary job, so the church would gather the offerings and they would take care of of the elders uh, that would do the preaching. Then he goes on in uh, verse 19 and talks about disciplining elders. 
He says, don't accept an accusation against an elder unless it is supported by two or three witnesses. Publicly rebuke those who sin so that the rest will also be afraid. I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus and the elect angels to observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing out of favoritism. Now, boy, there's a fine line there. We have to be careful if we're going to bring accusation to anybody, but especially a spiritual leader. And you need to make sure that you've got facts and not just rumor. Unfortunately, we run rumors. Rumor mills run strong in every phase of life, don't they? You see it at work. You see it in families. see it in churches. And it ought not be. But be very careful when you're going to discipline someone that's in a position of leadership. And there's a procedure that Paul outlines here. It has to be based on facts from witnesses and not rumors. Churches oftentimes con- conduct a kangaroo court on rumors. So-and-so said such and such, and old Betty Sue's not ever wrong. Well, guess what? Old Betty Sue can be wrong. One of my favorite songs is old Ray Stevens' Mississippi Squirrel, where where the old squirrel gets loose and runs up uh, Bertha's dress, and she starts confessing sins that would make a sailor blush, it says in the song. (laughs) You know? Got to be careful about that. And it should be public. It should be public so that others fear the consequences of doing wrong deeds. I mean, there are certain leaders, spiritual leaders, that are wrong. They do wrong things. And they should be exposed. And when they're wrong, they should be exposed. If it's something that can be quietly dealt with, it should be. One-on-one. But sometimes you have to bring it before the, the public. And But those kinds of disciplinary procedures should be done in the open. Oftentimes, someone will be dismissed. Nobody knows. Only rumor. And if at all possible, without destroying the person, because every discipline should be toward the process of restoration. When I disciplined my children growing up, it was not to punish them continually. It was to restore them so that they got better. Correct? The teacher gives you a bad grade. It's not so that you're stupid. It's to help you get better. It's to help you improve. So when someone criticizes you, don't take the criticism as a detriment to, I can't do anything, but help you get better. Help you get better. So all of our um, disciplining should be in that way. And then he closes with the idea of maturing of the elders in verse 22. He says, don't be too quick to appoint anyone as an elder and don't share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. There should be a pathway. If I want to be a leader of an organization, there ought to be a pathway for me to become that leader. I shouldn't just show up and all of a sudden, I'm a leader. Well, why do you want to be a leader? Well, it says the Bible, the Bible says if you desire the office. Well, I desire to be. But there still should be a pathway to get there. Just like there's a pathway for you to become a Christian. You can say, I believe in the Lord. But then prove it. Prove it. Okay, I'm going to go be baptized. Great, I'm baptized. 
Now, prove, prove that that really meant something to you. So how am I going to prove it? Well, you're going to have daily Bible reading. You're going to start a prayer of life. You're going to start attendance uh, uh, consistency. You're going to start witnessing outside uh, the body of Christ. You're going to start in, encouraging people to be in church. You see what I'm saying? There's ways, there's fruit of that, that we can see that growth. We can see you bearing that fruit. So it should be a pathway for leadership in order to become one. Elders should have accountability. Look in verses 23 and 24. Don't continue drinking only water, but use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Some people's sins are obvious going before them in judgment, to judgment, but the sins of others surface later. When you rush a person into leadership, you may not know what's going on with all of their life. To the best of your ability, you've got to know what's going on. Uh, we have a questionnaire that we pass out to men and that want to serve as an elder or deacon. We have a questionnaire they have to fill out. And in the questionnaire, we ask them pretty good questions. And if they don't want to answer the questions, that eh, probably tells you something. And if they do answer the questions, it'll help you know more about their background and what's happening and what happened in their life. I'm not sure there's a sin in the Bible that would stop you from being a leader. But we have to be very careful. We have to be very careful the leaders you select. We hear about that every four years, don't we? <laughs> We're coming up on another one. Oh my goodness. Oh, it's, going to be, it's already a mess. How in the world could you call an American citizen a Nazi? I don't know. But that seems to be an easy thing to do. It's easy to call somebody a racist today. I'm a racist because I don't agree with you? Wow. Elders have to be held accountable. You know, Paul's telling Timothy that, you know, you've got a medical issue and you drink water that's not the best water for you, so drink a little bit of wine to take care of that. But it's one thing to take a drink of wine, it's one thing to drink the whole bottle. (laughs) And then elders should bear the fruit. Look at verse 25. Likewise, good works are obvious, and those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden. I mean, if you're doing good things for God, it's going to come out. Amen? It will. If you're doing bad things... I guess God is going to come out too. Sin will find its way out. It'll find its way. Did your mom and dad raising you, if you told them a lie and you didn't tell them the truth, it was worse than if you'd have told them the truth. Any of you experienced that? It was better just to go ahead and tell the truth. Go ahead and take whatever whatever's coming. Seemed like they eased up on you a little bit if you told them the truth. Sometimes you didn't get a spanking at all. Just because you told the truth. Just because you told the truth. The church should see the fruit of our labors, and, and they will in time. And as leaders, in families, in, in relationships, in, in business, in the church... Our deepening of our discipleship, our financial stewardship, uh, 
people being baptized, people coming to want to know the Lord, all those should be evident in our life. And when you see that happening, then you see the leadership growth. Bruce Larson wrote a book called Wind and Fire. And he pointed out some interesting facts about the sandhill crane. I've got a picture of it for you to look at. These large birds who fly great distances across continents have three remarkable qualities. First, they rotate leadership. No one bird stays out in front all the time. Second, they choose leaders who can handle turbulence. And then all during the time one bird is leading, the rest of them honk their affirmation. They honk their aff- You hear them, don't you, when they're flying? Honk, 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 honk. I just thought, well, that's kind of goofy. You know why they're honking? They're honking for that lead, that lead bird. Keep it up, buddy. You're doing great. And it's really not a bad idea for the church, isn't it? We need leaders who can handle turbulence. Who are aware that leadership ought to be shared. But most of all, we need a church where all are honking encouragement. And I hope that we're a honking, encouraging church. Amen? We need to encourage Gary and Don and and Sam. Those are our deacons and elders right now. And we need to encourage them. We need to honk at them. So next time you see them, honk at them. Honk, 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 honk. Honk at them. And let them be encouraged to know you love them and you care about them. It was difficult for them to stand up here this morning and speak to you from their heart. But they did, didn't they? We have never, ever wanted to hide anything from you as a church. I've asked them to be transparent and they're more than willing to do it. Here they are. So now we have, as a church, some things to pray about. But I just want to challenge you. Are you an encourager? Are you going to do some honking? Are you just going to sit back and squawk? Father, I ask you this morning, as we get ready for our invitation time, would there be one here today? I realize that maybe they've been more of a squawker than a hawker, than a honker. Could we be take a lesson from the geese and from these swans and realize that it's just important that we honk encouragement to our leadership? God, I thank you for Gary and Don and the many hours that they spend in prayer over our church and the watch care over the spiritual development of our church. The times that they have been straightforward with me. That's never pleasant. But there are always times to grow. And I've always appreciated the love and the mercy and the grace that they show. So God, I just ask today, is there one in our church today, in our group today, in our meeting today, who's drifted? I need you to get their feet set back again towards you. I just want to challenge you to do it. And as we lead the church, may we do so in a 
way that brings honor and glory to your son Jesus Christ. But if there's one today, would they make a decision in Jesus' name? Amen.